0: A scarcity mentality around money is a common problem. For this guest, money wasn't an issue, but she did have an internal struggle. You will learn what that was and more coming up next. You did it. You have found your judgment-free zone, the Her Dinero Matters podcast a bilingual podcast for women who want to become reinas of their money and love their dinero more. I am your host, Jen Hempel, a former extreme frugalist turned reina of your money advocate. Each week, I'm going to help you reign your money like that queen that you are with inspiring interviews and panel discussions from La Comunidad Latina and with solo episodes sharing simple, actionable tips and strategies. Thanks for spending some time with me today. And now let's jump into today's dose of money confidence. ¿Qué tal? How is it going? Before we get started, are you ready to reclaim your sexual divinity, dismantle shame, and end rape culture? If you said yes,
1: then join me, Rosalia Rivera, host of the About Consent podcast. And members of Latina Podcasters Network to create consent culture and step into your divine feminine power. You can find my podcast and those of the Latina
0: Podcasters Network everywhere you stream your favorite podcasts. So, seriously, how is it going? Of course, you should know this is Jen Hempel, your host. And today's discussion, we have a fantastic guest. Nuestra invitada is. Fascinating. I know I found it fascinating and chances are you will too. So let me tell you a little bit about Ina Coveney. Ina is a global online presence expert and the founder of the Global Phenomenon, a community where new entrepreneurs gain the confidence and strategy to create global businesses from the start. Ina is the host of the Global Phenomenon podcast and creator of the Be Found program through which entrepreneurs learn the business essentials and how to create a world-class online presence. She teaches online marketing for creatives, coaches, consultants, and authors online and in the Boston area. Ina has been featured on USA Today, Business.com, Change Creator Magazine, and Podcast. She's Making an Impact, She Breaks Through, and Pod Queens Latinas. She is also a featured speaker in General Assembly Tech and Business Panels nationwide. Wide. In this episode, you're going to hear the internal struggle she faced amidst growing up wealthy, as well as the lessons she learned about having a career and the shock she experienced when she arrived to the U.S. after leaving her country of Venezuela. ¿Lista? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Danila Ina. I am so thrilled to have you here. Another Latina, another powerhouse out there doing their thing. Thank you so much for having me. No,
1: This is amazing. This is incredible. I love what you do. I love your podcast. So thank you so much for having
0: me. Well, I appreciate you being on. And of course, let's start off with you, your money story. Tell us, what did you see, hear, experience when it came to money? So take us Back to childhood or maybe your teenage years, something that really impacted you and how you think about money?
1: Of course. I'm going to tell you my story. I, of, everybody says this, right? My story is different, right? Everybody says that, right? We're all unique. But uh, my story is different in that a lot of people like to say how they grew up thinking, oh, money doesn't grow on trees. You know, there's scarcity of money out there. So you are only allowed a little bit. My story is a little bit different. I actually come from a well-to-do family where money wasn't scarce, where I always had everything that I wanted, where I knew that money was just going to come to me. I just knew this from very, very early on. I knew I was going to have a corner office somewhere. By the way, I I don't. I guess technically I have a corner office in my house. I'm in the third floor of my house and it, it is in the corner of the house. Does that count? But I had a vision for like having a corner office and having a job like my father and my mother's and money was just going to flow in. So I never had any fears that I was going to run out of money, right? So that, that was really not, that was not my issue. That's not how it all started. So having that mentality that money will always flow, the problem was that I had a very specific way in that money was going to flow. And that was through having a full-time job, working for corporate at a company that was safe and secure, and they were going to take care of me for life, right? Kind of like baby bloomer mentality, right? So as I grew up and as I, as I went to college and I started to figure myself out and what I wanted, I struggled a lot in understanding that there is no cap to how much money I can actually make, that there isn't this controlling body that is corporate handing me money that I could actually make my own, that I could expand beyond my wildest dreams, that that was not a thought. But there was something, there was a seedling inside of me that was telling me, I know that I'm meant for more. I should be doing something else. I am very smart. I'm very resourceful. I know that I could do anything I put my mind to. I believe that. Then why am I not? Why am I still in this box? Why am I allowing myself to stay in this box? And I didn't have any role models showing me the way out of the box. So it was me fighting to get out of this box, but I had no idea how. I didn't know there was a door in the box, right? Nobody showed me that I was there. So my money issues really came in really trying to get out of that lock. Yes, money is going to flow. I'm never going to have money issues. I'm never going to run out of having a nice lifestyle ever, but there is a limit to it. Those are the boundaries that I, I've been struggling to get my mind out of, and I finally quit my job for good two years ago in 2018. And that's what I've been working on. And my very first coach was the one who identified this money mindset issue in me. And that, listen, you, like, I, I was completely fearless. I'm like, I'm not afraid of like taking a huge risk for many months because I'm not in a rush to make money because I am confident that money is just going to flow to me. So that's not the problem. It's thinking big. So she was the one who recommended to me, like, hey, you might want to start looking into money mindset. She didn't even teach me about money mindset. She just, she just like she like nudge me in the right direction. She's like, figure that stuff out. Here are some resources you should be looking into. And then like it started to blow up in my mind all the things that were possible. So I hope that somebody out there relates.
0: So oh, that I do. I it's know a th- story. Yes, and I do. And this is one of the reasons I do this podcast because. Like you, I never feared money in the sense of, I did grow up with the mentality or the mindset that we didn't have enough or that we never had enough money. That was what I heard over and over again as as a child. So I was bound and determined that when I became an adult, that that wasn't going to happen. So I already had that in me. But what I didn't realize was that I was still repeating that cycle in the back of my mind, which was holding me back. So even though, yes, financial, we were better off, we were doing more things, we were, I was repeating the cycle in the sense, we would be depleting our emergency funds, we would be borrowing from retirement, and we would still be in debt 10 years later. And it was like, why, why, why is this like, if I'm doing all these things correctly, we should be in a better spot. But it was so really from that, when you start questioning, and it's funny how the answers start arriving, right? (laughs) So you started questioning, why am I stuck in this box? I don't have an answer for everybody out there who kind of feels
1: it and they want to get out other than listen to people, listen to Jen's podcast, listen to other people who have reached this level of enlightenment, right? That there is no limits to money. Continue to listen to them and start to create a new set of beliefs. That's the only thing I can give you because it took me 15 years to quit my job, even though I knew on day one, this is not what I wanted to do forever. I wanted to start my own business, but having no role models, no resources, nobody else who was showing me the way, that was the hardest part. So it will take forever to just do this on your own. I always tell people, like, I'm not trying to sell anything here. I'm just telling you getting help, like direct help with these things will get you there so much faster. I'm still working on it. And I hired my first coach two years ago and I've worked with all sorts of different people. And this is something that I still have very present because I know that that's the thing that is going to continue to stop me from reaching bigger dreams. So get help, everybody. Keep listening, keep infusing more ideas, better ideas into your mind, regardless of what everybody else around you is thinking and feeling and telling you about it.
0: Right, but I'm, I'm also curious. So let's go back in time. Because you've had the struggle of staying, being stuck in this box of really reaching your potential, which obviously you've been working on. So where do you think this stemmed from? So you came from a, a family uh, that money wasn't an issue. So money was plentiful. So if you take, go back in time to your parents, do you recall any memories that maybe, because it really, it boils down to valuing yourself, Right. So do you recall any memories or anything that you saw, you heard, or that your parents told you that really indicated that maybe they weren't valuing yourself? Because in my experience, it all comes down to our money story and our, you know, our upbringing, and that has an impact. So I'm just curious what that was for you.
1: You know, I can't recall a time that my parents ever put me, like clearly not put me down or my sister's down. My father always said, I don't care if you end up being a janitor, you just got to be the best janitor in that place. Just be the best at what you do. He always said that. But at the same time, I feel like there was more of the media and more of society kind of influencing me. Like I would watch a lot of TV shows where if somebody doesn't have a a straight traditional job, then they need an intervention, right? They're like, uh, I remember there's an episode of Friends in particular that I'm thinking of where. Uh, somebody's sister gets pregnant and the boyfriend is in a band. And they they ask him, So, what is your plan to provide for this new family you're creating? He's like, Well, I have a band, right? And and that's how I'm gonna make it. And they were looking at each other, saying, like, yeah, no, like this is the complete irresponsible thing to do. This is immature. Get yourself a job. So I feel like there was a lot of influences from the outside, right? Within my family that was compounded. By the fact that my parents were very successful corporate people, right? And that I could see that outside of my, my circle, right? Like outside of my núcleo familiar, right? Like my aunts and uncles, if they didn't have a corporate job, they were struggling to make ends meet. Clearly, there is a connection between being responsible, straight-laced, going to college, and striving for the corner office. There's a correlation between that and success. and If you try to do anything else that is alternative, like one of my mom's friends um, sold Avon products and she was always struggling with money. So to me, doing anything other than corporate, you will struggle. That's just not the right way to go. If you're trying to do something else, I had a friend um, she actually ended up being my client later in life, but a friend of mine way back in the day where she took me to a meeting, which was like a multi-level marketing thing. She took me to a meeting and she kept calling it, oh, this is my business, right? And I saw it like, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. This is a pyramid scheme and good luck to you. But it's great to know that you are, you have a safe job here in corporate, right? Like that's a nice hobby, I guess, but I'm not going to get into that. Everything in my life was telling me that corporate was the only responsible way to be and growing up as a middle child, right? In my family, especially my older sister was the one who always got into trouble who was demanding a lot of my parents' attention. So I just, I guess I I just felt ignored. And I'm like, okay, then I want to get out of this house as soon as possible. Not to say that my parents were not good parents. I have excellent parents. I have an excellent relationship with them. They're great. They're beautiful, wonderful people. But dealing with three teenage girls, I mean, come on. I I have a lot of compassion for my parents at that time, okay? So when my sister was getting into trouble, I'm like, I just want to get out of here as soon as possible so I'm just going to be responsible. That was a big one. That was a big value, a big belief of mine. Be responsible, whatever you do. My father always said, never bring a dude to my house that is wearing an earring or that is wearing any jewelry, right? Like There was a clear definition of what being responsible was, and this was it. That was the only path. And my parents were super proud of me when I made it in corporate. I mean, I was Going places, I was demanding, uh, you know, action from other people. Like they could hear me in conference calls, and at the end, they would look at me like impressed, like their jaw would drop because I'm because I'm awesome, right? I'm awesome at what I do. So that kind of validation, like there, there was nothing else. that was telling me that there was a life outside of it. So it's a wonder that I had that seedling that wanted to get out and that wanted to grow because everything in my life was telling me that that's, that was not the way to
0: success. Interesting, because I have, like I said, I've just been, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, I relate, I relate. Before we continue, I have a quick message for you. Herd Ineto Matters is brought to you by First Republic Bank. The world is changing and your needs are evolving as your focus turns to what matters most to you and your community, First Republic remains committed to offering personalized financial solutions that fit your needs. From day one, you'll be connected with a dedicated banker who will serve as your primary point of contact throughout your relationship with the bank. They'll be there to listen to you, understand your values, and meet you on your financial journey. Your banker can offer solutions that support your goals at any stage from setting up a personal checking account to refinancing household debt to buying a first home. As your needs evolve, you can call or email your banker at any time for the support you need because First Republic believes what matters to you matters most. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member of FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. do you feel being a Latina, do you feel that was ingrained by some Latino culture? Because I know, uh, even though I am Latina, my dad's American, so was born both. But I was ingrained that same thing where the examples like you mentioned, because at first when you said I didn't have any other examples. And I think back and I'm like, the same here, all I saw and heard was like, you go to school, you graduate from high school, or you go to college, and you get yourself a good job. A good job was defined as, at least in our family, an educator, a doctor, engineer. Mm-hmm. You had
1: many more options than I did. In my family was just engineer.
0: All oh, right. The end. Uh, so that, those were the options. Those were the examples. And it's interesting just reflecting, too, because My parents early on, more on my dad's side, he had that spark of entrepreneurship, right? He was a business major or minor, or he studied something about business, right? And they did try some businesses, but failed. Granted, this was back in the 70s in Colombia, there was a lot of challenging, it was a lot of challenging times. And I always, and here, you know, and I'm telling you more of a story, and I don't know if listeners have heard this before because from interviews and everything, you don't know where you, what you've told where. And then, so that's what I was. So I knew I didn't even know what I was going to study for a while. I just, what I realized was like, I went to college because I was, that's what I was told. Right. So I just, I was like the good girl. Like you tell me what to do. Okay. I'll do it. Cause you know better. Right. And I just Figured out something to study because it was interesting, but a whole lot of things were interesting to me. I was even going to minor in marketing because I just find, found that so fascinating. But I studied biology, then I was like, no, I'm going to go into physical therapy. And my brother, he studied architecture, but both of us are business owners, which is interesting how that is because I think we're, and I, actually, some of my cousins have become business owners but along the, along the journey. So it's been interesting how that is because I completely relate. And I think some of the struggles in even in my own business journey have been from, well, I haven't seen an example really near me, like whether a family member. I have seen examples, obviously, right? Around me. But it's just interesting to, to hear you say all that. And
1: I'm going to say something that I, I want everybody to understand that the Latino culture is, I'm going to say this out loud. I, in my experience, it's different in every country because there's a different history that comes with being in the U.S. for a couple of generations. There's a different history that comes from being in Venezuela you know, or in Colombia or in Argentina. It's a different political history. It's a different economic history. So I want to specify my Latino culture to specifically the situation in Venezuela at the time that I was growing up which was the oil boom, right? Venezuela became an incredibly rich country in the 70s. And the only, the main industry in Venezuela became oil. So growing up, the culture was like in my school, even like between students, we all wanted to be engineers. That was what the industry, where the industry was. It was like having, you know, like General Electric is not what it used to be, right? Like back in the 90s. But in the, in the 80s and in the 90s, the oil company in Venezuela became this multinational behemoth where the internal company culture was about meritocracy, was about being very responsible with oil because this is our lifeline. So there were all of these processes that were put into place and this huge pipeline of talent that they were trying to grow to feed the oil industry. So it became a thing that being an educator, no, that's not a way to make money. Being a doctor, it's the the healthcare industry in Venezuela is not like here, right? It's I don't equate or never did growing up. I never equated being a doctor with being wealthy, right? It's it's not where the money is. Okay. You're basically a public servant when you are a doctor in Venezuela. But engineers had this pinache, this cachet, this. You're an engineer. You're one of the smartest people in the country. You are running the country. So, in terms of like Latino culture, right? That is the history of ours, right? In Venezuela. So, it became a thing that is like, listen, the only thing that matters here is your studies, your grades, and you getting into a good job because that's what the path was there. In fact, when I was in college studying computer science,
0: I went to UMass Amherst. I was the first of my. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you.
1: Entire family to ever even study abroad. I was here studying and I was noticing and, and talking to Americans and noticing that they had been holding a job since they were 14 years old. Since They had been working like at an ice cream stand since they were 16. That, you know, my husband, his whole family worked in Faneuil Hall in Boston, serving ice cream, scooping ice cream, right? Like this was a thing. Everybody had jobs. And I'm looking around because in Venezuela, or at least when I was growing up there, in order to get to college, you had to pass what is the equivalent of the SATs, right? Called the CNU. And you also have to take a test at the university and pass that test. So your extracurricular activities didn't factor in. They only wanted to know you were one of the smartest people in the country, right? So extracurriculars were not a resume builder, were not attractive. It's not like the process of applying to colleges here in the US, right? So when I came here and I started studying, I was focused on my studies. And when I realized, oh my God, there is an entire job market out there that I'm not going to be eligible for because I'm going to go and apply for a job and say no I've never held a job before but you should hire me because I'm very smart that doesn't work I was calling my parents like when I was a sophomore in college telling them can I please get a job cuz they were funding my education like they were the ones paying my bills I'm like can I can I please get a job and they're like no no, N-O. Your job is to be a student. You get good grades. That's what's going to get you far. No, you don't need a job. We're paying for everything. You don't need a job. And I'm like, you guys don't understand. For me to get a job later, I need to get a job now. And that's when I apply. I, I, I started working at the computer labs in, you know, in the school. And I started to become very overzealous. Like, I was like, I was the best consultant they had in the computer labs when all they expected you was to just pick up the copies from the printer and hand them to students. I was there like cleaning the entire lab and I had suggestions for management and they had to have one of the lab managers come and talk to me. I'm doing like air quotes, like talk to me because I was too overzealous and I needed to like chill, like stop messaging management. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So anyway, I don't know why I started going on that tangent, but that that was my experience. You asked me about the Latino culture. That's what was ingrained. You have to be the smartest person in the room to get the best jobs. And
0: that's just not necessarily how it works in the real world. Right. And I agree because I, I tend to experience that as well. And I love that you've factored in and brought in into the conversation how even though you're from Venezuela, I'm from Colombia, the culture and just the, the history and what's going on has an impact on what's being passed on to the kids. And I love that you brought that in because I think that's so important because it's like, okay, it makes sense. Like why you had that one option, just become an engineer or become an engineer because it was going on. And in my case, that even though later my, my family members that are doctors are like, well, I guess it wasn't like what it was supposed to be, you know. But you know, because you said it's public servants, and I love that you brought that in. Now we're going to shift the conversation a little bit to us mujeres and and value and valuing ourselves better. Why do you think, especially when it comes to to the mujer latina, why do you think that we don't value ourselves like we should? Okay, and I'm going to go back to the history because.
1: Again, my experience is going to be extremely unique and I'm going to tell you a few we things. Love that love I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to tell you a few things that may like blow your mind, but I grew up in an environment where women were the boss. I grew up in an environment where my mother was the first person to graduate with a computer engineering degree in her university, right? And the only reason she was the first woman to graduate is because that was the first year it was offered at the university and most of the people who signed up for that major were women. So I, I come from a world where women have the same jobs as men, right? Even though, like if you look, statistically speaking, it was, it's mostly men who are in the leadership positions, but I grew up not thinking that I couldn't do it, right? I grew up thinking I absolutely can have any job I want and I can go up against any man and I can be the boss of men. And my mother was the boss of men and that was okay. It, it wasn't a thing as for, like, I've always tried to reconcile that with, the, with machismo, right? Because that, that definitely exists, right? I'm not saying that Venezuela is this super progressive place, but it's more progressive than other, than other places where, you know, here still, I would go walk into a computer science class and I'd be one of five women in a room of 90 people, right? That to me, like, never made any sense. Right? I'm like, why am I special here, right? In, in Venezuela, you get pretty much equal, women and equal men signing up for for technical majors, right? Like, this is a thing. So about undervaluing ourselves, I really think it comes from whatever our upbringing and whatever society is telling us, because I'm going to tell you, even though I grew up in that environment where I'm like, I can do and be anything and go up against any man anytime, it wasn't until I came to the US that I started to see that being challenged. And that may be a very, very controversial thing to say. But I have been in the U.S. for 20 years and I have seen, I see this in the culture. I've seen this in corporate. I've seen this everywhere I go that women are supposed to stay in their place, that women are supposed to be soft and good to look at, like nice to look at. And they should be, you know, easy to talk to and not, not aggressive. And you know what? I, even when I was working at General Electric, I went and I did a project in Venezuela and the women who were in leadership, they were talking directly. They were not trying to walk on eggshells around men. There was an equal power situation that I would come to the U.S. and be like, why is everybody telling me to tone it down? Why is everybody like in every yearly evaluation that I have at work, why are they telling me to quiet, to be aware of my audience? More, my audience being men who don't like to be told what to do by women, right? Do not speak so directly and so aggressively. Why is that happening? So I really feel like it had a lot to do with this environment we see ourselves in, right? We are being pushed down when we're trying to break through. So I can't imagine having grown up in this environment, having been all of my life in the US where those are the signals that I'm getting, getting out of that would be very hard for me, having grown up in a place where I can do anything I want. It's still hard being in this environment where I'm being put down for the past 20 years. You see what I mean? So why are we undervaluing ourselves? You guys give yourselves a little bit of credit. Okay. The fact that you're listening to this and consuming this content and trying to break free is a huge credit to you and your grit and your wanting to do something better for your life because the entire world or the entire (laughs) United States culture speaks against it. So it's up to us to raise our voices and say, no, we're not going to take this lying down.
0: Right. I find this fascinating because, of course, in the history of Venezuela, things have changed and there's a lot of challenges now. But when we think to think about Latin American countries, we think Latin American countries, third world countries, underdeveloped, behind, you know, behind the times. And yet, listening to you and the things that you just said, it's interesting because the United States is this really progressive country and really on top of it and, and, you know, one of the most powerful countries, yet we're behind the times in other things when in other areas like we just discussed, but yet these Latin American countries like Venezuela, at least, would you consider that it's still like that in terms of women, even with the changes and the challenges? No right now the the economy
1: is so shot there's no normal anymore the like the situation is a topic for a completely different podcast. I can tell you about what I grew up with up until the year two thousand. Anything after that is a real shame it's a real it it makes me extremely sad. My entire family has had to move out of the country. it is in shambles it is it's no longer what it used to be, so it's very, very hard to say but um to tell you about. It's funny you say that, you know, about Venezuela, at at least the Venezuela of the past, right? Uh, Having been more progressive than the U.S., which is a a first world power. My mother, I remember her, you know, whenever I tell her about like, I feel like I'm being put down. I feel like these these signals are being sent to me. She doesn't believe me. She actually doesn't believe me. She never actually like worked here. She's not not a part of really like the U.S. culture. She kind of lives like in her little bubble, even though she lives in the U.S. So when I tell her this, she like this happened like a month ago or three weeks ago. She told me, oh, yeah. Are you telling me that Venezuela is more progressive than the United States? And I'm like, yes, Oh, is this not like a, a fact already, especially when it comes to racism. Right. At least, you know, again, I can tell you about the Venezuela that that used to be where, you know, I have a cousin who is blonde and blue eyed first cousin. And I have a first cousin who we call him El Negro, who was like a dark, dark skin. Is that right? Like we all do. Like in, in our own families, we have a very, very mixed race. So in Venezuela, there was never a thing where like you put down black people. It's just not, it's like putting ourselves down. It's just not something we do. So actually you go to Venezuela and you hear a lot more racist jokes than you would think because people are not, people don't take it personally. I'm not saying that should be the norm. I'm not saying the racist jokes are correct. I'm saying that this is what you're going to hear if you go to Venezuela. You're going to hear people putting themselves down, but it's not a racial thing. It's just that this is, this is just everybody just making fun of each other in an equal way. It's a, it's a completely different undertone than here in the U.S. where we've had this history of, you know, the civil rights movement of people being put down because of their race of discrimination, overt discrimination happening because of race, right? That discrimination was just not a thing happening in Venezuela, right? So it's a completely different culture because of the history of each country. So whenever I say like, you don't realize that, like, for example, my father's solution to everything is we should stop tracking people's race. It's like, why is it that every form I have to fill out, I have to say what my race is. In Venezuela, we don't track that. Because, because it's just not an issue. So we just have to stop tracking it. I'm like, dad, the history is different. There is history of discrimination. We have to track these things so that we can make them better. And my father's like, I think
0: we're making the problem. Like, like there, it's a huge disconnect. That is so fascinating. And I find it fascinating, too, when you mention because it, it's, I completely agree how with the different when we talked about us valuing ourselves as women, uh, as mujeres Latinas. And then we have to think about the factor of the different history of whatever Latin American country we're from. And then we factor in if we're recent immigrants or I'm not an immigrant, I moved, or if we're first generation, second generation Latino, and then now you and I are married to Americans, right? So then we factor that in. There's so many different levels. Of course, we don't have enough time to dig into that in this episode, but I find that so fascinating because oh my goodness, I, I can't even go there right now. <laughs> no, and I'm sorry. My point is that the, the
1: history of the culture in that country affects the way that we see ourselves and affects the way that we see the world. So that has kind of been my experience between the two countries. Not to say that I haven't seen a lot of opportunities in the U.S. that I haven't seen in Venezuela. Like I said, my entire family's had to leave. So I, I never want to come off as, hey, things are better in Venezuela. Everybody should just move there. Please, like right now, don't check right. the news. So I have found a lot of opportunity in the U.S. that I wouldn't have in my home country. This is true. I want to make sure that I say that out loud because I never want it to seem like I'm, I'm saying one country is better than the other. I just want us all to be mindful of the history and that we're, we're all in this together. We're all trying for equality together, whether it's right. race or gender or, or so anything that we can all do to equalize the playing field wherever we are. That's what we're all trying to do.
0: I love it. Well, it's a powerful comment and, and some powerful conversation. Now, I want to wrap it up with since we were talking about valuing ourselves as mujeres, what do you think is one thing that, what is, because that's something that you've been working on, right? I, as I mentioned, that that's something that I've worked on, been working on as well. What do you feel the person listening? At this very moment, should do what is one step that any one of us can take to increase our how we think about ourselves or or how we value ourselves, so we can get out there and ask for the most money or charge our you know what we should charge and our business. So, what would you think is one thing that we can currently change?
1: I think that, and this is something I talk about all the time. But action comes first.
0: Don't think
1: that one day you're going to think differently. About yourself, that you're going to think differently about your situation, that you just have to mull it over some more, that you have to just just let the idea stew a little bit more, that you that you deserve more. No, action comes first. If you're stuck in a job right now and you're not and you feel like you deserve a raise, right? Ask for it. For like like listen to podcasts, educate yourself on what the best way to ask for that raise is. But normally, it's just a matter of saying, you know, just putting your cards on the table and saying, listen. I have been here for this long. I, this is how much I make right now. If you compare this pay, if you're a woman, chances are you're getting paid less than the men who have the same title. If you compare my pay to other people, like what are you coming up with? I would like, you know, this, this is how much I believe this position is worth at this point. You know, I would like to request a 12% raise. So th- that's the kind of thing that people just don't do, right? That they, they just think to themselves, well, the company will take care of me right? They have me in mind. They're thinking about me. No, I was at a company where my pay was so under what it should be, but my manager was never going to say anything. So one time I had that conversation with him. I told him like, I am requesting a 12% raise. You know what he said? He had he had the gall to tell me to my face like, yeah, I noticed that you were getting underpaid. I'm like, and you were going to do absolutely nothing about that because managers are rewarded for you know spending less and getting more. So remember that. So what it, I want you guys to think about: what is the next action that you need to take in order for you to value yourself? Is it to ask for a raise? Is it to start your business? Is it to start putting out a message and see who resonates with it? Is it just writing that book that you've been wanting to write? Like really, really disciplined with yourself and actually doing it. So I would say. Stop thinking so much. Listen to as many podcasts as you can to like feed your mind, but know that that does not equal action. Take action. Do something. Do it today. Everybody who's listening to this, they know what their next step is. I know what to do, but I just need to do it, right? Like I hear that all the time. I know what to do. I just need to do it. Then do it today, tomorrow, that thing that you know what to do, just do it. So I would say action comes first and then your confidence lags a little bit behind.
0: Right. And I think to add to that, because I am a firm believer in that too, is I think where you're not taking the action, I've, I would have, ask yourself two things. One, what is the best thing that can come from not taking this action? And the opposite, what is the worst thing was, that can come from me not taking this action? So I think answering those questions will push you. In the direction of taking action. So, oh my goodness, this has been such an awesome conversation. I love where it took us. <laughs> you know, it was, I loved it because I love everything about you. And just hearing you talk about how your upbringing, I'm like, in the, the little time that I have known you, I'm like, it makes so much sense. The story about you working in the computer lab I'm like, I can completely see that. And I've known you for a short period of time, but just your personality and your energy and everything. I love everything of that about you. So thank you so much for being with me today, for being with us today and sharing all that you did. It was so fantastic. No,
1: thank you so much. And I I have to say for everybody listening, you guys are very lucky to have somebody like Jen on your side and teach you about this stuff, because this is the one thing that you're going to wake up one day when you're 65, and if you never made a change, you will be kicking yourself. So this is the kind of thing that will get you to unlock that potential that you have right now so that you reach 65 with as much money as you want, turning around and saying, wow, I'm so glad that I listened to that episode with Jen Hemphill because she's the one that really got me to think about my entire life differently. So I think you guys are in the right place. And thank you, Jan, for allowing me to
0: be a part of this conversation. Muchas gracias. Y qué linda. Thank you so much. Gracias a ti. Thanks, everybody. So I'm curious. What did you think? Isn't she just fantastic? She's really a phenomenal person. And that wasn't done intentionally because she does have the Global Phenomenon podcast. anyways. If you enjoyed this episode with her, I really encourage you to connect with her. You can do so at inacovany.com forward slash subscribe, which by going there, which by the way, the link is in the show notes, you will get her five steps to show up like a multi-million dollar company. And as I had mentioned, I we shared, I shared this with you with Her intro is that she has a podcast called The Global Phenomenon and it's brand spanking new, which is a podcast that's definitely worth your time, especially if you enjoyed learning about her. So, check those two out. Both of those links are in today's show notes. Also, if you find yourself with an internal struggle like Ina, definitely make sure you grab my daily dinero ritual if you haven't done so already. And this will help you get clear. It'll help you understand better your internal struggle so you can move forward. And you can get this resource. as free at JenHempel.com forward slash dinero. Now, next week, we're going to be meeting Sylvia Inks. If you're a small business owner or wanting to start a small business, we will be discussing business finances. So don't miss that. That is it, eso es todo. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into the show. Be sure to check out the show notes over at jenhempelcom forward slash 234. Remember being the reign of your money starts right now simply with claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. If you love this podcast, if you love this episode, I would love it if you share it with someone you care about And if you haven't already followed on your app or subscribed on your app, I encourage you to do so. As well as you can take a screenshot or a selfie, tag us in your Instagram stories with at Matters with one thing that you love about the podcast or that specific episode. I would greatly appreciate it. Bueno, pues, that is everything. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.